Welcome back. <clears throat> As promised, the background is a little different. Um, we are currently in Andaman Islands, which is basically India's Hawaii in more ways than one. For one thing, it's uh, kind of far from the mainland across an ocean. Um, as you can see, the uh, across the east part of the Indian Ocean. Um, the first people to arrive here uh, arrived about 60,000 years ago and uh, Marco Polo was the first person from outside or from the west to uh, to meet them and uh, he described them uh, with the words and I quote I Marco Polo am a total racist piece of shit who uh, you should tear down all the statues of right now and uh, uh, something to that effect. And, and then he went on to say, uh, hey, Edward, cut me some slack. It's the 1200s. Have you read the Magna Carta? Everyone was racist back then. Fair enough, Marco Polo. Uh, but yeah, no, it was, it was pretty awful. And uh, <clears throat> so others throughout the uh, centuries since then have, uh, have, have taken ownership of you know, the usual suspects, the Portuguese, the Dutch, I don't know exactly in what order it went through the imperialists, but it ended up in the hands of the British. And then, of course, as we know. So after the Second World War, the whole you know, world was going, come on, Europe, give these countries back. Come on, you know, we've had a bloody war, let's give them back. Britain, what? <laughs> What's that behind your back? Oh, it's India and a number of other countries. Give them back. Oh, all right. There's that one. There's that one. There's that one. Thank you, Eddie Izzard. You can always rely on Eddie Izzard for a good history lesson. Actually, I, I try to model myself after uh, Eddie Izzard in, in the way that I do history, but I, I don't know if I hit the mark. Um, so anyway, right around that time, there was a, a young man who was a student at Cambridge University who had the, uh, the interesting and clever idea of taking the first initials of each of the uh, the states in the northwest of India, Punjab, uh, uh, Kashmir, and a few others, and spelling out Pakis, and then putting Stan on it, which means like home of like Afghanistan and so on is, is where the Afghans live and Hindustan is, or Hindustan is one of the names used for, uh, for India. And so, yeah, so anyway, uh, the British government saw the, the little pamphlet drawn up by this Cambridge student and thought, hey, jolly good, what a nice way of bringing the heat off of us. You know, all these, uh, these revolutionary types were very upset with the British for having occupied for so many centuries, but then all of a sudden they had other problems to deal with. Not saying that was the uh, sole motivator for it, but it certainly, I'm sure, didn't hurt. Who was it that said divide and conquer? Was it uh, Sun Tzu or Caesar or all of the above? Anyway, uh, enough depressing stuff. Um, so yeah, so what ended up happening was uh, 
when when the British were pulling out and they said, uh, you know, hey, we, we've got these islands and we don't know what to do with them. Uh, India, would you like them? And India said, what are we going to do with our own colonies? Uh, what do we look like, redcoats? And the British said, uh, well, you've got some red saris going on there. And they said, that's different and you know it. And then the British said, well, you know, if we if you don't take it, then, uh, you know, probably China will and they'll use it as a strategic defense uh, thing against you. So and the India was like, we'll take it. Wouldn't that be nice if that's how it went? Actually, how it actually went was a little bit less fun, a little, little weird, I think. Um, <laughs> uh, Britain announced that they were going to take all of the mixed couples. In other words, during their, their occupation, there were some British folk who uh, had uh, married Indian women. Usually it was British men with, uh, with Indian women and uh, I mean, maybe it happened the other way around, but I, I, I don't know. Yeah, comment below if you know of a case of that. And, uh, you know, they had these, uh, these, these mixed race children, as they say, even though race, it's the human race. There's only one race uh, of humans, uh, but ethnicity, multi-ethnicity children. So back in the 1940s, after World War II, the British said, we're going to take all these mixed couples and we're going to settle the Andaman Islands with these mixed couples and create uh, a nation of that's sort of half English and half Indian and, you know, some uh, Burmese, you know, Eng English Burmese. Anyway, long story short, uh, thank goodness uh, that that didn't happen. Um, and the uh, the mixed couples presumably settled in India or England or wherever else they wanted to. No need to create a new weird hybrid nation. Um, so, so in the end, uh, it, it in the process of all of that confusion, you know, apparently, uh, Andaman Islands just became part of India. And uh, then, after a couple decades, you know, of uh, having them, India started building up its uh, its defense, you know, here. So, those are some of the ways that it is like Hawaii. Um, some ways that it's not like Hawaii is you can go to Hawaii and actually see Hawaiians where those original people that I mentioned that were here from 60,000 years ago, apparently there's less than a thousand of them left and, uh, and you don't see them, uh, around, but this is a, a, a tourist place for mainland Indians, basically. Um, and it's uh, it's nice. People seem to enjoy themselves. Uh, we took a ferry to right now we're on Havelock Island. Uh, we took a, a ferry here from Port Blair. Yeah, there we go. Um, and uh, yeah, you can see some of the some of the footage and some of the imagery of that. So um, yeah, there's one island. Uh, I believe it's called North Sentinel Island. That's very close. Uh, here's the here's Long Island, not to be confused with Long Island in New York. Of course, this is Long Island, the bigger, the the main. What do they call the one in Hawaii? The the Big Island. This is the Big Island of Andaman Islands, and then uh, here's Havelock over here. That's where I'm talking to you from. And over here is North Sentinel Island, and it's common knowledge that you don't go to that island because, and perhaps thanks, thank goodness, that the natives of the Andaman Islands still live there, and those particular ones are not very uh, friendly to outsiders, probably because they have some 
even some little bit of knowledge of uh, how it's gone you know, these past, what, 800 years dealing with outsiders. And so, um, so yeah, people who go to that island immediately find themselves dead. Uh, re relatively recently, I think it was within the past 10 years, there was a Christian missionary who decided, you know, he was on a mission from God. I believe he had um, some kind of mental condition or other. I, I, I don't know exactly. Um, but yeah, he decided to go there to convert them to Christianity. And uh, let's just say that did not go well. <laughs> So yeah, in the spirit of all the non-violence of uh, Jainism that we're going to be talking about, I, I just thought I'd show you the horrors of violence, right? So that we can get in the spirit of non-violence? No, I don't know. Um, the moral of the story, of course, being, uh, don't be a Christian missionary. You guys have done enough damn... What? Oh, that's not the moral of the story. Uh, the moral of the story is don't go to North Sentinel Island. Okay, enough levity. Enough... Uh, you know, it's 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 all not related to Jainism, the Andaman Islands, not related to Buddhism, but uh, you know, it's it's kind of an overall picture of of India. Maybe you learned something today about India. Did I forget anything? Probably. It's okay. Um, I was going to, you know, go in the morning. There's the sunset spot. There's the sunrise spot and the sunset spot. So I had this genius idea that I should go early in the morning to the sunset spot because then the sun will be shining on me with the ocean behind me. And then I'll um, <clears throat> recite the next half an hour of the Jain Sutras uh, from there. But then I decided not to let my perfectionism uh, keep me from keeping the series going. So we're just currently on the front balcony of the little hut that we're staying in, uh, hotel type thing, in uh, in Havelock at Andupan Islands. So, uh, sorry about the sound quality and uh, hope you enjoy the ambient crickets and birds of this uh, tropical region. We're sort of near Burma. We're like, you know, adjacent to Thailand and underneath Burma and like nowhere near what you'd think of as India, but technically I'm on Indian soil right now. Right. Let's pick up right where we left off, shall we? <clears throat> so this is the Samyaktva Sutra, the Sutra of Right Faith. The next section, God, the Arihanta. You remember Arihanta was the victors. Those are the ones who conquered uh, not fear maybe they didn't list it among them but i maybe i'd add fear but no they've conquered anger lust greed and ego right so basically from the point of view of us we layman mortals they're basically the same as the uh the cds the cds sadis sidas uh the ones that are completely liberated like <clears throat> from our perspective it's like trying to differentiate between don't know Neptune and Uranus or something uh, with a with your bare eyes you know uh, one of them is just completely liberated from all of the all of the inner demons and the other one is has attained liberation but from our perspective they're both just gods basically that's what it's saying so it seems to be I mean one thing I've noticed I mean because part of this is comparing and contrasting uh, Jainism with Buddhism and uh, you know maybe starting to discover the uh, 
the threads between them because the premise of my reading these on this is uh, oh by the way <laughs> for the premise on why I'm reading uh, JN Sutras on the Buddhist Books podcast click here for episode one of the JN Sutras on the Buddhist Books podcast I'm being eaten alive by mosquitoes by the way one must suffer for one's art anyway um, and uh, if this is your first time seeing me at all and you want to start with the beginning of the whole series, go ahead and click here. That'll start you with the Dhammapada. So we go through the Dhammapada and then we try to get through the Lotus Sutra, but that results in me saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to focus on Theravada. By the way, sidebar, I, uh, I saw part of, I saw the beginning of uh, uh, a YouTube video the other day. I think I'll point to it I'll try to find it anyway basically it was saying that early Buddhism is not the same as Theravada Buddhism and so I was like really have I been using the wrong word this whole time and so I looked into it and basically what it's saying is that present-day Theravada is not the same as what the Buddha taught and it's like well yeah of course um, probably by the second council or this the second big meeting that they had it was different probably differences were starting to creep in at the first council when the disciples were still alive so uh, I will continue to use the word Theravada in reference to early Buddhism even though the that guy has a point that Theravada is different from early Buddhism we might say early Theravada and that would mean early Buddhism um, so like basically by the time Ashok came around and the third Theravada council was going on, there were already a lot of differences between that and original Buddhism. And he, he was talking, he knows a, a Theravada monk <clears throat> who himself has studied the Pali scriptures and decided, I am not a student of Theravada, I am a student of early Buddhism. And it's like, okay, well, that's nice. And then someone else came on and said, yeah, I call that Mulyana Buddhism. And so I looked up Mulyana Buddhism and Google hasn't heard of it. I asked uh, Priyal and she said, oh, well, they're making up a word that basically means root, the root. Oh, it's like, okay, okay, that's nice. I, I get it. People, people want to zero in on the original stuff and, uh, you know, get past the, uh, you know, in the same way that I, on reading the Lotus Sutra was like, hey, you know what, instead of spending the next however long reading this, I want to get back to the original stuff. And so that led me to the Pali scriptures. So while we were waiting for the Pali scriptures, of course, we got into the Jain Sutras. And now, now I've committed to reading this whole book before I get to the Pali Sutras. So without further ado, we've got 15 minutes left in which I'm going to do so. Read a little bit of the Pali Sutras, that is. Okay. <clears throat> Jainism does not consider the devas of the heavens as supernatural or venerable. To pray, serve, or worship them is nothing but a sign of mental weakness. Okay. So they kind of like are directly setting them up as in opposition with a lot of traditional Hinduism, which is probably why they're considered a separate religion from traditional Hinduism. And then Buddhism, of course, followed suit. Uh, it's like modified Jainism, I say. Oh yeah, what I was gonna say was, one thing I'm noticing is a lot of this is, it talks about these great sages, it talks about the, the gods that are the liberated ones, but there's not a whole lot of emphasis on how to get there. I mean, it kinda talks about how to get there, but so far what I'm, what I'm getting is, it's really important that you worship these guys, you know? And it's like, I get the sense that Buddhism was more focused on how you can get there. 
um, not so much, hey, these guys got there, worship them. Uh, comment below if I'm missing the mark, I'll say, but I don't think I am. Okay. <clears throat> Jainism is a religion of immense spirituality. Only a person who has reached the highest state of knowledge, vision, and conduct, who is free of the worldly mire, who is a direct seer and knower of past, present, and future, by virtue of his Kevala Jnana and Kevala Darshana. You remember those? Something knowledge, something sight. Kevala that. All right. Anyway. Uh, it can be considered worthy of worship as God. There's so much emphasis on whether to, whether you're worthy of being worshipped as God. It seems like to me, in my limited uh, uh, view, that uh, to be free from samsara is to be free from caring whether people are worshipping you or not. Right? Maybe. Anyway. <clears throat> Jaina religion states that I'm talking about Buddhism, not Jainism. And I apologize to any devout Jainists who are watching this, trying to figure out what the heck this white guy is talking about. Hello and thank you. Okay. Do please comment below. Jaina religion states that only the great being, that the only great being is the Arhanta Deva, who is devoid of the 18 sins, as enumerated below. What are the 18 sins? All right. Number one. Dhanantaraya, that which obstructs charity. Number two, Labantaraya, that which obstructs gains of any kind. All right. Three, is it so like when something like makes the stock market go boop? Is that a, a Labantaraya? Maybe. Okay, three, Bogantaraya that which hinders enjoyment of one-time pleasures such as food, clothing, etc. Okay. Hmm. All right. I seem to remember something in Buddhism about wearing rags, but I don't think you were supposed to enjoy the rags. But anyway, um, Apapogantaraya, that which obstructs the enjoyment of constant and continuing pleasures, such as clothing, dwelling, bed, etc. These are interesting. I mean, I don't disagree with them, but it's interesting that these are called sins. I wouldn't think of these as sins in, in a Buddhist context or a Christian context, or indeed an Old Testament Jewish context. Something obstructing you from enjoying wearing clothes and sleeping in a bed is a sin. Hmm. Maybe I'm misunderstanding this. Let's keep reading. Uh, number five, uh, Viryantaraya, that which obstructs the power of souls. Abstract, but I like it. Uh, six, Hasya, mockery. There was this kid, Sanyo, in my uh, uh, junior high that he loved that word, mockery. That's mockery. Mockery, I say. <clears throat> Hasya. Mockery. It's a sin. I apologize for all the hasya on Buddhist Books podcast. Number seven, Rati. Likes. Number eight, Arati. Rati, Arati. 
Number eight, Arati, dislikes. So YouTube got rid of half their sins, didn't they, when they got rid of the dislike button. Nine, Jugupsa, uh, which is hatred. Okay, yeah, clearly, right? Um, ten, Baya, fear. Fear is a sin, I knew it. I knew it. All right. Eleven, Kama. Lust. I mean, it's to be expected. It would be on the list, right? Okay. Twelve. Anjana. So, jnana is knowledge. Anjana is ignorance. I think mushi is uh, ignorance in Japanese. Mumushi is no ignorance, says that part in the Heart Sutra was Mumumyo. No, Muyo. Mumumyo. No ignorance, no end to ignorance. Mumumyo. Mumumyo. Something, something. She used to think it was funny when I was practicing that and walking around going, Mumumyo, Mumumyo. Something. Said, what are you saying? This cute things. Okay, next. <clears throat> Nidra. Sleep unawakened state it's a sin i wonder if uh, youtube will let me get away with that we'll find out won't we number 14 avirati absence of vows is a sin absence of vows is a sin. I'm going to go ahead and go on record and say I disagree with that one. Okay. Number 15, Raga, attachment. Yeah. Number 16, Dvesa, aversion. Uh, okay. Okay. It's a sin. Maybe there's a context to that that I'm not aware of, but yeah, I mean, there's things you should be averse to, right? You should, aversion to blank. Aversion itself is a sin? Maybe. I mean, if this is like some early Tantra that creeped into the before Theravada uh, ascetic path, don't, don't have aversion. I mean, they did eat bird poo, so. Well, anyway. <clears throat> Number 17, Soka, worry. Number 18, worrying is a sin. Oh, I had that uh, Wet Me Worry from Mad Magazine pop into my head for some reason earlier today. I think it was in a, in a half-asleep state. I've been editing these videos in my sleep. It's getting weird. All right, Un without having shot them yet. Uh, 10, Mithyatva, Deluded Vision. Okay, so those are the 18 sins. Anaraya means obstruction. When the on oh excuse me antaraya means obstruction. When the antaraya karmas are on the rise, one faces obstructions in every task, including giving of donation and receiving a cherished object. The antaraya karmas of arihantas have dissolved, and hence they are free of obstructions in their endeavors. That's what Ganesh is for, guys. Just call on Ganesh. Ganesh will remove the... Oh, sorry, I'm just being a 
being an arse, um, I, I'm a fan of Ganesh personally. Guru Nirgranta. Near According to Jainism, the proof of a true guru is in his renunciation. The person who follows all the five great vows has equanimity towards big and small creatures, eats just enough by receiving alms, follows the vow of celibacy, does not eat at night, does not keep possessions of any kind, and walks only by foot, is considered worthy of the status of guru. Religion, Jina Dharma. True religion is that by which the inner space is purified. Passions and the karmic layer over the soul are destroyed and qualities of the self are enhanced. Subsequently, the soul must attain liberation from all sufferings and attain the eternal immortal state. A religion such as the Jina Dharma is steeped in non-violence, truth, non-possessiveness, contentment, charity, austerity, and contemplation. Right faith. Seeing myself without arms uh, just reminded me I, I finally got to show her the original Max Hedrum. Huh? Have I used all my cards yet? Anyway, um, it's a good movie. The British one, the 1985 origin story of Max Hedrum. Some good uh, dystopian early cyber punk, I think. Um, it's good. It's a bit retro. I mean, you know, big cameras like this, network television that has power, uh, a few other things that are a little arcane and dated these days, but really good. All right. Right faith. Samyaktva, or right faith, is an inner attribute and hence difficult for laypersons to understand. In this context, it is the emancipated souls who can describe or talk about it with certainty and clarity. The Agamas, who have described five signs of a person in the state of Samyaktva, by which right vision can be recognized in the practical world. Prasama, or tranquility, Samvega, spiritual craving, Nirveda, uh, uh, distaste for the temporal world, Anukampa, compassion, and Astikya, unwavering faith. Astikya, Astikya, unwavering faith. If you are trying to remember the Sanskrit for unwavering faith, just remember Astikya. Okay. <clears throat> These five qualities signify samyaktva. One, I don't know what, oh, these five, okay. Now we're getting into the five. These are the five qualities that signify true religion or right faith. Okay, right faith, not true religion. Presumably those are different things. Yeah, they are different things. They're listed as in different places. All right. Prasama, tranquility, the subsidience, the subsidience of the flaws that arise from being rooted in worldly goals because of the force, because the force, 
because of the force of untruth is known as prasama. Okay, let's try that again. Prasama or tranquility. The, subsidi the subsidence of the flaws that arise from being rooted in worldly goals because of the force of untruth is known as prasama. Subsidence, so it goes away. Okay, okay, I think we're there. Are you there? I don't know. Okay, a being rooted in the right vision can never remain rooted in worldly objects. A fruit fell from a tree, made a sound. Okay. He is always ready to shun untruth and accept truth. In a way, his entire life is truthful and exists for truth only. Two, Samvega, spiritual craving. <clears throat> Samvega is born from the fear of worldly shackles that arise from passion, anger, pride, and delusion. A person with the right vision is free of fear and conflicts. As he evolves to a higher plane, he becomes free of the fear of life and death, profit and loss, and praise and criticism. <clears throat> However, if he experiences fear or distaste, it is only towards worldly shackles. There is nothing more damaging than worldly fetters that can lead to the deterioration of the soul. Those who are cautious of these will free themselves from the fetters and move towards longing for spirituality, or samvega. Three, nirveda, distaste for the temporal world. Nirveda means minimizing interest in material pleasures and sensual enjoyments. How can he who is a slave to sensual pleasures and who can commit any crime for fulfilling his desires have the right vision? Material interests and right vision are in opposition to each other. The aspirant, who is not too absorbed in the world, who is detached from sensual enjoyments, is the one who can shine with the light of right vision. 4. Anukampa compassion. The yearning to remove the sufferings of those in distress is known as anukampa. The aspirant with right vision is shaken when he sees others in pain and invests his entire energy for their redemption. He is not as pained by his own troubles as he is by those of others. Those who remain untouched by the sorrows of others must re-examine re their lives and make compassion their goal. Compassion is the mark of auspiciousness and redemption. It is said that the souls that are abhavya, incapable of attaining liberation, can never feel compassion in their hearts. And five, astikya, unwavering faith. To accept the reality of the soul and its higher journey, which is validated by the agamas, is known as astikya. The aspirant is not yet a siddha, that's the word. He is just a sadaka. Therefore, even if he is highly intelligent, he cannot ever know formless substances such as the soul by senses. 
Without faith in the divine voice, the journey of austerities cannot be completed. Therefore, even if the aspirant is progressing in the field of logic and argument, he should not lose contact with the agamas, uh, which are primarily spiritual. Okay, we'll close with that. The five signs, what was it? Five, five qualities which signify Samyaktva. Okay, we'll uh, close as we usually do with the prayer that my father taught me when, uh, when I was very young. <clears throat> to the north and to the south, to the east and to the west, to the spirits of light among us and to the spirits below, we send out our reverent love and compassion. May all beings be happy. May all beings be serene. May all beings be in peace. Oh.